0: You are now tuned into The Battle Line Podcast.
2: The Switch is on, Battleline Podcast. I'm Ian Scotto. I'm Chris. <laughs> Who
1: am I? Am I Chris? No, I'm Tano. I'm Chris Peronto. And that's what we do here, because it's, it's no holds barred, just me being my dumbass self, as
2: usual again. But yeah, every week on here, we bring on different inspirational guests from all different backgrounds, actors, musicians, a lot of special operations, military vets with Chris's background, CIA contractors. Um you know, and and we talk about overcoming obstacles. We also talk about the Second Amendment. We talk about guns, gear, all that good stuff. Um, we have Ben Morgan coming on this episode, which I'm really excited for. 69 episodes in, can't believe it. Did We're, you say 69? 69, Come on, we can't, let, we
1: can't let that pass. We got to be our, our disgusting adolescent selves. 69, dudes. All right,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, let Ben Morgan. He is 69 <laughs> on here. Um, but yeah, the first thing I wanted to start with because I just thought it was pretty crazy this past week. If you listened to the last episode, I clearly told you guys, I know nothing about finance. Don't listen to my financial advice. Um, and, you know, so if, if you lost money, due to me or something. It's, <laughs> it's not due to me. I, I am not Charles Payne. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But, um, all right, I'm going to give you guys the background and everything. We spoke about the Clubhouse app last week. And when I saw how innovative this thing was, I was like, man, this is going to be a huge company. I felt the same way like when I hopped on Fiverr and Fiverr during this whole pandemic. The shot, is, the stock has shot up like I don't know, three hundred or six hundred percent, something like that. So I felt the same thing about Clubhouse. I was like, this thing is going to be huge. So I, I what went to see the stock and the stock was definitely on the rise, on the trajectory of a big rise. And I spoke about it on the podcast when we recorded on Friday. Um, which it was starting to go up on Friday, over the uh, so I'm trying to think of uh, the dates here. I think it was over the weekend. Elon Musk was saying, "Hey, I'm gonna go on Clubhouse and uh, everybody be there." And he also tweeted out the stock, the um, the 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 name of the stock for Clubhouse Media Group. So I think a lot of people were hopping on the stock. Monday comes around, the stock goes from about five dollars to I think fifteen dollars this huge rise and people are crediting that to Elon Musk. Uh, I have friends and family who got on the stock and they're like, wow, I just made all this money. This is huge. But the stock throughout the day went from about $15 to $10. It's kind of hopping all over the place. People are wondering why. And I have a lot of friends who do work in finance being in New York. And they're like, yeah, this is looking way too volatile for me that to stay on. But I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna get out now, and I'm gonna make about I know people who made between like three and five thousand dollars on this in one day, and they were like, "Thanks for letting me know." I'm getting out now, though. I personally didn't get anything because I was waiting for my money to clear in uh, TD Ameritrade, which takes like way more days than I realized. Anyway, the stock closes at about ten dollars. I have friends that are like, "I should have gotten out at fifteen, but whatever." I made money. This is cool. Right around the time the stock closes, news articles start popping up everywhere, basically stating headlines like Elon Musk tweets out the um, symbol for Clubhouse for the stock, but it's the wrong Clubhouse. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This is really strange. Basically, it turns out there was another stock that had absolutely nothing to do with Clubhouse. I don't even think had anything to do with social media and they were riding the wave of this app and changed the name of their company from something else to Clubhouse. And people assumed Clubhouse Media Group, if you looked at the news articles, it said the amount of impressions it was getting. Um, and so I assumed this, was, along with Elon Musk, along with many others, this was Clubhouse Media Group. This stock is, it's like a fake stock, man. It went um, it went public right around the same time that Clubhouse went public as, a, as an app. And it it is just not the same stock. It's a completely different thing. It turns out this clubhouse was bringing in zero revenue, was not making any money. This was almost like a Dogecoin type thing. This was like a TikTok house in California that were riding the coattails of the clubhouse app. So I'm telling people, yeah, you probably want to get out now. (laughs) They drop a press release Tuesday right before the stock market goes public. And they're like, we're very excited for what Clubhouse has on the horizon, and sure enough, that thing drops even lower than when people went on. So uh, if you got out at the right time, you made money. If you didn't, this was an extremely shady company. Um, Someone even tweeted me, if I could find it, the timeline of what went on with this Clubhouse um, stock, which once again is not the app, and it's very suspicious. All right, so yes, someone tweeted me whose actual name on here is Clubhouse app is not public. January 19th, employee stock offering announcement. January 20th, name change to Clubhouse Media Groups. They changed the name, changed its company service to social media management. So it was a totally different company. February 1st, uploaded shareholder update on Reddit. Zero revenue last quarter, zero. These are the facts, evil, horrible, personal opinion. Um, So Clubhouse app has nothing to do with the stock. There is apparently a stock um, for the technology that created the Clubhouse app, not surprisingly started in China. It's Chinese stock, much like TikTok and all these, you know, it's Chinese technology. But this is not the same thing. And uh, I, I don't know what to say, man. It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And apparently this is the second time this has happened with Elon Musk where he tweeted out a stock symbol and it turned out it was not the same stock that people assumed it was. Very weird. I, that's why I just don't even get it.
1: <laughs> I got nothing on it because I just stay out of it. I used to invest in stock stuff and it's just, for me, with money, I I like the even keel. I don't care if the returns are 2% or what, but it's always going to have a return on it. But, I, you know, I, you know I, I don't really pay attention to the stock because I do have my retirements, but it's it's based in solid stuff that the government's not going to let fail. But the return is minimal, but it's still a return. All I know is that I won't ever invest in a particular stock, even if Ian said this is the hundred percent. Nope, not doing it. I, I I'm not a good good gambler, even when I have all the chips in my chips on my side, I'll lose them all like that. So I would just rather play it safe. And 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 like I told you, we, you know, we were texting about that. I know, and I said, hey, my money's in properties and the green stuff. That's it. I don't have silver. I don't have gold. Which at a time that was wonderful to have and who knows now
2: with everything silver and gold will always i mean it'll never crash it's finite
1: but fine and 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 that's thing with property as well which you know i i I don't have a ton of properties but i have a couple but it's again it's for retirement and then i have my old iras that have
2: sat there for years and
1: just collected interest and interest um over the years for like 20 some years so
2: yeah uh the app itself is pretty damn cool, though. Um, and Are then you- Elon Musk, the next day, was like, uh, "I'm going to take a break from Twitter for a while," <laughs> but he didn't. He did You can't. <laughs>
1: dude, you can't. Power, people that crave power, they also crave the attention. They cannot get off social media.
2: It's. Impossible. I like Elon like Musk, coping. though. I do. I of of like. I know he's the richest man in the world right now, but of those people, he's he actually is like the most. I don't know, man. I I, I like him. And and a lot of those people, I don't. I I think he's just an interesting character, and I think he's brilliant. Wasn't he going to have the first? He was building the
1: first plane to go to the moon, or per, first? Well, jet they've gone. To, they've
2: gone to SpaceX. Has gone to space, so. but
1: they're they he's going to start doing like round trip tickets to the moon. I thought, yeah.
2: Is, am I right
1: on that? Because again, sorry, yeah. man.
2: <laughs> it'll pro- it'll probably happen. We'll see, man. But um, I I do know we got to get to Ben Morgan before we do. Um, Guys, you got to check out Fort Scott Munitions if you're a shooter, if you're a hunter, they're the best on the market. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com go to f o r t s c o t t m u n i t i o n s.com if they're sold out on anything that you're looking for they're restocking check the site like every day um and if you go to our description on this episode you'll see the link right there so fortscottmunitions.com use exclusive promo code battleline for 15% off your order only available to listeners of the battleline podcast Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Go there now, fortscottmunitions.com, promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, everything that you get. That includes merchandise, all ammo, everything else. Joining us for the first time on the podcast, Ben Morgan, retired Army Ranger and retired private security contractor, um, and... I would really, I have to say, I'm kind of embarrassed that like 69 episodes in. we are 69. Were finally, yeah, you're number 69.
3: 69!
2: <laughs> that we're finally having you on because Ben is really, I mean, next to Tonto, like the number two guy at KPI LLC between Battleline Tactical uh, and now Tonto Vodka, as well as your own company, Morgan Timing. Your story was documented in this book, The Patriots Create Inspiration and Advice for Living a Heroic Life which I kind of brushed up on yesterday and read your old section in preparation for this interview. But, yeah, we're both really excited to have you on. We've wanted to have you on since Episode 1, but things just happen and we're finally doing it.
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, time flies. You know, I mean, even when uh, things are this screwed up, it still seems yeah. like, you know, I mean, how did the last year go by so fast, but at the same time seem like it took forever? Um, it, it is kind of a strange thing and yeah that's that's uh pretty amazing though that you guys are 69 episodes in
1: because it does 69 it like, i, keep, I like adolescent. Saying, i know my adolescent self keeps saying yeah i just keep saying 69
0: 69
1: i know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kill that <laughs> that joke huh nail it shut you have to bury it when the show's done okay total
2: quit saying 69 stop it <laughs> It's uh no, but it's fun to finally have you on, right. man. I I definitely want to get into your you know your interest in firearms, which led you to doing what you do now. But before we even get into that, I, I didn't know until I read Chris's book, really, that you guys grew up in the same town and both ended up going into Ranger Battalion.
1: I know from, yeah, from I a mean, town you know, of what, what was it? What was it like twenty five thousand? No, it was bigger than that at that time. How how many people? Real small though. Wouldn't be. It wasn't huge.
3: No, I mean you get the whole
1: valley where you have Palisade, Grand Junction,
3: Orchard Mesa, the Redlands, Bruta, yeah. and all that, and everybody just kind of ends up calling it Grand Junction. But there are little bitty towns within that valley itself. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I think Grand Junction in the whole valley is probably back then was probably seventy thousand people, give or it's take. That
1: which was which you was know, weird for two guys to go on and go to range battalion that close together out of the. Uh, out of the gate there yeah he went first though guys so i'll just let him have that he did he did go before me he set the example
3: yeah it was probably a lot of like uh because i had the same recruiter that chris did (laughs) guy sergeant watts
1: sergeant watts yep
3: and he probably told chris that you know this moron
1: made it so you will be fine do you you really want to know what watts said and that's what he said uh, he, he's an E8 now. He actually came to a book signing in Alabama two, three years ago. He retired not as a sergeant major, but as a master sergeant. Okay. Great guy. Sergeant Watts was and that. He's one of the guys who allowed me to get back in after I got booted out the first time because he <laughs> was messing with my paperwork. But yeah, he said, yeah, because this little, he goes, this little runts going in, you got to go, you, you got to go to range of time. This little, I mean, dude's like 150 pounds. He oh, drinks yeah. too much. It, it's like, yeah. So I was like, well, shit. If he could do it, I can do it. So yeah, yeah. I was that, that was fun? Shark watch was a good guy.
3: He actually, yeah. He had to put up with me twice because I actually, I got basically kicked out of the army before I even got in the army. Got to,
1: We we yeah. talked a little bit about it in the book. A little bit about your yeah your okay. dysfunction.
3: Yeah, and they you know, they, they threaten everybody with that uh, fraudulent enlistment stuff. And everybody's like, oh, that's kind of BS. You don't have to worry about that. No one ever gets hemmed up for fraudulent
1: enlistment. <laughs> you know. All right. You got You got to tell everybody what happened. Tell all the tell everybody out there what happened uh, to your fraudulent enlistment, you freaking criminal.
3: Yes. So <laughs> fraudulent enlistment is a real thing. And they will kick you out of, of MAPS, kind of the reception center if you get caught and I had gotten in quite a bit of trouble as a, as a, as a kid. And, uh, I got, you know, hemmed up for, uh, stealing car stereos. And, uh, so I had to go through this whole scared straight program, which is a whole nother kind of crazy story into itself, you know, being 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Like 130 pounds walking through a, a state penitentiary with, there's no security with you. You're with another inmate. And, you know, the inmate I was with, I mean, he, he killed like two dudes. And he's like my my partner in prison. And we're walking around in the uh, state penitentiary down in Canyon City, which, you know, most people don't know. There, there's some serious prisons in Colorado yeah. uh, that, you know, um, house some of the worst of the worst. They have that Supermax in Florence and stuff. And this is all right around in the same area. So I'm walking around in this prison with this guy in uh so you know i went through the whole program and they said it was expunged from my record because i was a minor well when i went to join the army they you know they ask you all those questions and i was like well it's not on my record it's been expunged they're not going to know about it so i didn't tell them you know and they found out and so yeah i'm at maps and i'm going through the, the the stuff i'm supposed to leave like the next day for basic training and this uh, captain calls me in his office and he kind of starts reading me the riot act about all this stuff. And, um, you know, and yeah. And he said, uh, pack your shit. You're going back. <laughs> back home." And I, I had to call my dad in this guy's office and tell him, and I'm sure my dad was, it, it had to be like the biggest kick to the face to my mom and dad because they were like, we're finally rid of him. And he's <laughs> off. Army's problem now, and I had to call and say, hey, I'm coming back. Uh, I, I got kicked out of the Army before I was even let in. And it, did. Did it took it- like another, uh, wow, probably eight or nine months before I could go back. And uh, they let me kind of re-enlist again. And so, yeah, Sergeant Watts probably really hated me. <laughs>
1: Right, but is that did you have to redo all? You had to redo paperwork. What you have to redo to get back in?
3: Well, I had to. uh, You know, they kind of like put you on probation, and to where you have to have like six months without anything, any trouble, or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, yeah, you kind of have to re-sign a new contract because I was originally supposed to be a a thirteen fox, and. Then when I went back in, there was no 13 Fox, uh, slots. So I ended up with a, you know, the, the straight 11 Bravo option 40, whatever it's called, the Ranger contract. And so I went back in as a, as an infantry guy. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to start the whole thing over and redo it. and not getting any trouble for six months, which for me at that time, that was a big, a big thing. It's <laughs> not getting any trouble for uh, six months and, uh, Oh yeah, it, I was an idiot. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. I was just a a, a troublemaker,
1: you know, and that, like, the- we, and and that's why we we you know I, I wanted him in the book. It wasn't really the stuff military he, he did great, but it was him growing up as a truant, and I wanted high school kids to look at this guy and be like, hey look at this Trent that just drinks all the time as a total hellion, breaking into cars and he still managed to fix himself and, and succeed. And that was the reason I put him in the Patriots creed. It was, it wasn't like I said, I, it wasn't for the, for the, 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 the Ranger battalion experience, which is, you want know, to talk about that too, but it was you growing up and how much shit you, you actually for my, because you had, you had great, I know his family, he has great parents. <laughs> he both his parents. Oh, yeah. In Vietnam, but yeah, tell tell us because we, we get kids that are thinking about going in the military. We get kids that are that are having issues listening to the show. When I say kids, I'm using that respectfully in the teenage years. So right. tell them a little bit about your growing up, well, dude. You know, just I, don't 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 get yourself put in prison again. Don't don't like incriminate oh, yourself for, for <laughs> on the yeah, show. I Think this statute Bet. limitations is right okay, good, good. I, I, didn't, I didn't get
3: caught doing. But, uh, you know, I, I, I've tried to kind of figure some of that stuff out as I've gotten older, like, why did I do these things? Why was I, you know, and I think a lot of it had to do with this, the fact that I was, I was a pretty shy kid, you know? Um, and I had moved from, uh, Louisiana to Colorado and I was the new kid in eighth grade. And so, you know, you're the new kid, you're not, uh, you don't have any physical attributes or anything that makes you stand out to where people would be like, Oh, you know, he's the cool kid. I wasn't tall. I was skinny. You know, I had acne. It was kind of like, you know, uh, you know, and being new is hard. You know, it's always hard. And, uh, so I was the new kid in eighth grade. And then I was also the new kid in high school because I went to West, which fed into junction and I ended up going through to high school. So, you know, being really shy and things like that. And, um, you know, when I started drinking, I think by drinking like that, it kind of, it brought me out of that being shy set, uh, kind of shell that I was in and I was like, Hey man, I like this. And people liked me when I I was never the the bad drunk. I was the fun drunk kind of guy. So who doesn't like fun guy in, um, so I just kept drinking. I was like, hey, man, this is pretty cool. You know, Like two, three beers in, I'm, I'm party time. You know, let's go have fun. Um, and then, you know, I, I think the, the criminality kind of side, I mean, not that underage drinking is not against the law, but the actual real criminal behavior came from, I just liked the excitement of it. It was just the, the, the kind of the rush of it all, you know, getting chased by the police. And, you know, I mean, you got... Five sheriff cars behind you at 100 miles an hour, and you're going down Broadway with your hair on fire. You know, at three o'clock in the morning, getting chased by the police. I mean, it was fun. It was exciting. Uh, I mean, it was stupid, but it just kind of it gave me that big sense of man, this is. I liked it. I liked that sensation of running from the police and and sneaking around, stealing stuff, and it just brought a lot of excitement. And I mean, that's why I did it. I mean, I didn't need any of this stuff. It wasn't like I was, you know, stealing out of necessity. Um, I just liked the the excitement of it, getting away with it. I honestly, if I could have brought all that stuff back two hours later, I would have been like, here you go. Uh, I don't need it. I'll be back maybe in two or three weeks and try to steal it from you again because I just enjoy <laughs> the excitement of all that stuff, um, you know, which is stupid, but I, it was just kind of the way my brain was wired that, I like that rush, that excitement, the, uh, the thrill, of the, the chase and getting away with it. And,
2: yeah. The, the surprising thing to people would probably be, I mean, how Chris said that you were raised right, great parents. Like, you know, people would probably look at you and say, like, who raised this kid?
3: Oh, yeah. You would have thought I was raised by wolves. But, <laughs> you know, my, my parents were, were, were both, uh, you know, Vietnam veterans. My mom was a, a nurse in a field hospital and my dad was a matter back pilot. Um, you know, they're both college educated people. They're both, you know, intelligent, they, you know, they, but they were, they were at work, you know? Um, and that was kind of the way my generation was, was raised. In, and so we kind of raised ourselves, you know, they used to call us what? latchkey kids. latchkey kids.
1: Like yeah. Yeah.
3: Yep. You know, my parents, like, I mean, we weren't, um, we weren't wealthy, you know, it wasn't like we were living the good life. My parents worked, you know, extremely, extremely hard. And people are like, well, where were your parents? Like, well, they were at work. That's where everybody's parents were when we were growing up. They were at work, and we were just kind of like, hey, man, let's go. We figured out and kind of raised ourselves. And I just didn't do a very good job of it. Well, and,
1: that, and that's where I I I think when people say you know, the environment causes the person to the, a child to be criminal, the environment says says that oh yeah, he's he's criminal because his parents were he's he's seen it all the time, or he's raised in an abusive family or so forth. And that's why I liked your story for the book because you weren't. And it showed to me that even as a kid, you have a choice and you know, right or wrong, you know, nobody has to tell you, even if your parents aren't there, you know, what's right or wrong. And it's your choice to either can do the right or wrong and then continue on or fix yourself. And one of the ways to do that, yeah, is was to go in the military for, for, at least for, for our generation. Um, but that's why I I, I do like, because you you figured it out. You made that choice. So I, I just can't stand when people well, say that the environment made, raised this kid. The environment made him what he was what he wanted to be. No, he still did. He had a choice. You know, you knew when you were drinking that eighth beer and getting in the car that that was wrong. You knew, uh, you knew, but you still did it. But you still knew, you knew the choice. It wasn't the environment that fucked you up there. It was the choice that you made, but you overcame it with, and I said, I, The military helped, uh, even though, even though it almost didn't. Yeah, if you could talk a little bit about uh, what what was your decision, and I know this people out there don't, but what was your decision? Why did you decide to join the military, and why did you decide to join Ranger Battalion and go to go to the uh, third best battalion in Ranger Regiment, First Battalion? You know, they're Well, I I slipped that one by you, dude. (laughs) I understand
3: you guys from Central. You know, won't really tell how to count and you
1: know
3: yeah. one <laughs> and then there's second and third. You know, yeah. there's a reason the guy that's in first place gets at the top of the podium.
1: Because <laughs> okay. the first is better than set. You I gonna lie, guys. I, I I do wish man, I wish I got been in the sun and been on the beach during the downtimes. I know it sucked out there at first bet, but it still was better than freezing and freezing in July running and going, what the hell it's 50 degrees out and it's raining in July and I'm freezing my nuts off. So, but I got to make yeah. fun.
3: We had it pretty good. I mean, in, in, within regards to being right there in Savannah, Georgia, yeah. uh, you know, Tybee Island, the beach was 30 minutes away. And, you know, so we had a, we had a pretty good uh, place to spend our downtime right there in that vicinity. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the I, my whole, i mean, almost my entire family has been in the service for generations. You know, going all the way back to the American Revolution. Um, so we have, uh, you know, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, the whole thing. I mean, Korea, um, and so there was kind of that, um, fam- that
1: Lieutenant Dan kind of thing. Lieutenant, Dan, you're, Lieutenant, oh, yeah, Dan. Those, keep going. in. <laughs>
3: But we all lived, you know. Yeah, family was all killed off.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right.
3: we had all kind of survived. Uh, you know, my my grandparents and great, they all survived. Uh, you know, I had a a, a great grandfather that was a, a infantry lieutenant in World War One. You know, I mean, spent spent his time in the, the trenches in in France. And there's, you know, and, and it's kind of strange. He was a, an enormous, enormous man. And so there, there's, there's pictures of him in those trenches with all the, uh, um, the other guys just really being freaking miserable. And he's like this giant, giant dude. It was like, that had to be a dangerous place to be when you're like <laughs> six, six in a little trench, you know? And um, so there was that kind of family connection to the military, to, specifically to the army. Um, you know, my uncles and I had an uncle that was in the Marine Corps uh, in Vietnam or flew um he has an interesting story too but um so i had a lot of uh family connections to the army and at the time one of my uncles was in the ranger regiment he was a, a he was a senior fire support officer for the regiment so he i mean he was a major uh, lieutenant colonel um obviously living a very very different life than a, an e2 in the ranger regiment but he had that connection and just kind of um you know hearing him tell the stories about it and in listening to it and he sent me a video that had um uh i'm drawing a blank on his name uh grange uh, colonel grange oh, when he was regimental commander. and it was a video about him and the whole regiment and it was and it, you know, general downing was in it and it just kind of intrigued me that it was like you know and i'd read a bunch of clancy books and I was kind of, you know, creating this uh, little fantasy in my head about, you know, I'm going to go in raid regiment. We're going to go sneak all over the world and kill bad guys. I was like, well, that sounds like about as exciting as life can get, you know? And so I was like, hey, let's go do that, you know? And in and, and two, I was kind of in this place where I was like, well, what, what else am I going to do? You know, um, I know my, you know, my situation is kind of what most people would look at as the stereotypical reason why joined, people join the military, which isn't true. But in my case, it was true that it was kind of like, you know, back in the day, it was like, you're going to jail or you're going to service. And that was kind of the way I, I looked at it. it was like, you're either going to end up, you know, in prison full time, not just on this, you know, scared straight program. This is going to be where you end up, dude, uh, if you don't get your head straight. And so I looked at it as, you know, kind of sentencing myself to that, like, you need to go in the the service and fix your life kind of thing. Cause you're, you're on this path where you're going to end up in prison and, you know, going into that, that prison and spending that time with that guy who was, you know, sentenced to prison uh, and talking to him and kind of starting to realize, you know, his life and my life were kind of on the same path. Um, you know, at different points in our life, I was much younger, excuse me. Um, but listening to him talk and how he ended up in prison for, you know, double murder, I was like, dude, that, that could, I mean, it, I could see myself ending up exactly where he did just by the lifestyle that I was living. And I was like, I mean, it doesn't take long in a, in a maximum security state penitentiary to realize you do not want to spend five minutes here, let alone 15, 20, 30 years of your life. Yeah, It's horrible. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, when people talk about the prison system, I'm like, you know, it's not harsh enough. On, I'm like, dude, you go in there for five minutes and come back and tell me that this is not a punitive system. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah it's terrible. So I, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And so that, you know, the connection to the army was where I was like, OK, I, I'm going to go do that. And it was a family kind of connection to the army specifically. Um, and that's why I chose the army. You know, and my uncle's connection to the Ranger Regiment is why I chose chose the regiment. It was like, this is you know, I mean, who do, I, I guess I kind of always look at anything as a challenge. That you know, you always want to be the best at it. You know, so it's like, well, what's the thing I can do right now in the army that puts me in the best company? You know, with the best, yeah, the best soldiers, the best leadership, getting to go do real world real world missions. That's what I wanted to do. Was you know, like I said, go around in the foreign countries, sneak around, kill bad guys. That was what I wanted. That's why I joined the army that and fixed my life. But, you know, I wanted to go do those things. I wanted the adventure because, like I said, that's what I enjoyed about all that bad behavior was the excitement of it. I mean, it doesn't really get much more exciting than out of airplanes and faster, roping out of helicopters on the rooftops in the dark. And I mean, that, that's pretty wild shit, man. And um, yeah well yeah. so that that was kind of why i I did that, you know, not yeah because I knew where I would go. I was going in I was going right back into that prison. Well,
1: i I think yeah you know, all all the guys that all, all that go in or gee it's whatever companies they have now, as far as battalion, everybody's an adrenaline junkie at some point at, in some aspect. some guys are all the way and they can't turn it off where other guys. They want it, but they can always shut it down. I think you learn that, though, as you're there as well, when to sh- when to turn the adrenaline off and when to turn it on Where when you first get there. And I think that's why a lot of guys burn out at battalion when they get there or get RFS before they get to school is because the adrenaline stays too high. And that also leads to the anticipation of you getting smoked up, which makes it 10 times worse than if you just would take the beating like – like it's a, hey, I'm just going to qualify on the tree and scrape the shit out of my nuts for 30 minutes. It's just that is but guy's adrenaline stays up so high that they just burn out and they do something stupid and they get RFS out. Um, yeah, I, I, I was same. I agree the same way with it as far as going in and say, well, I challenge myself, but I want to feel what that adrenaline is. And then learning how to control that adrenaline as you get older within the system and that goes battalion, they do a great job because they give guys responsibility as a leader, you have to be able to control that adrenaline. Now it's got to be a controlled adrenaline burst, not the E2, E3, even the E4 adrenaline burst can keep going all the time because you really just have to do with what you're told. You don't have to think, just do what you're told.
3: Yeah. And I, and I felt, you know, I mean, going, you know, the the, the kind of path that I ended up on where I was an enlisted guy in the regiment and then, you know, getting out, going to college and coming back in and ending up uh, an infantry officer, um, You know, and I kind of looked at my job as an infantry officer was to, you know, give my guys the tools that they needed to accomplish what I was asking them to accomplish. You know, and I'm a big uh, I like to drive my decisions based off of commander's intent as opposed to, you know, just specifically mission statements. Um, And and so but you're right. You know, I looked at it as, you know, come to me with your plan and let me make sure you're not, you, you know, Doing things that are illegal, because guys, got, and dude, you know what it's like. Battle runs from private fours and young e fives. They they come up with some you know crazy shit ass ideas, and you're like, dude, you whoa, hold on, you
1: can't, you can't do that.
3: Somebody's gonna get killed or or whatever the case may be. And so seeing both sides of it, where I was like, yeah, I was that you know e two e three tab spec four in Ranger Regiment, where yeah, you're like you know a dog on the end of the leash, where you're you're just pulling and pulling, like I want to go, I want to go. But yeah, it is kind of that leaderships in more being more mature. You know, not saying that you have to be an officer to be a leader. Uh, that's certainly not true. <laughs> but you know, uh, but the, you know, the more mature NCOs and things like that. You know, they're there to kind of rein those guys in, kind of to pull pull back on that leash a little bit. And be, you know, kind of get that adrenaline under control. And yeah, and as you mature, you realize okay. Really? You know the, the the adrenaline. You have to learn how to turn it on and turn it off because you're right. Otherwise, you're going to end up, um, you know, down in River Street fighting six dudes, yeah, getting the shit out of you just because you know for the excitement of it, or, or you know, just you know, running down the street, you know, uh, naked streaking
1: through Tampa downtown Tampa because you know it's like hey, you know, and you never, and that's never happened. Both those things have never happened to you.
3: No, no, I never. never. Ran naked down. <laughs> <laughs> the truth about, you know, in Tampa, on like you know rush hour at five o'clock in the afternoon, that never happened.
2: <laughs> if uh, so, if you guys, the listeners, pick up the Patriots Creed, you're going to learn more about this, which you know we urge all you to, to pick up if you haven't read already. But uh, the interesting thing with you from there is that you had just a plethora of injuries yeah. that kind of sidelined you, and I'd like to get into that as well as um you know you were texting me before we did this interview, getting into veterans mental health which is something that you really had to overcome uh, because of those injuries
3: you know it I did and um, and in, you know being a guy that is, is always kind of trying to dig into the information as to why things are the way they are you know is there a way to fix it make it better you know um, I can really get focused on little things which sometimes is not a good thing um, but I, and I can and I can just it's like you know, the, the, I mean, and excuse me, not that it's dumb, but it, it is kind of like a small detail sometimes. And I'll just get locked into that thing. And sometimes I just can't let it go. And, you know, when I got hurt, um, you know, I kind of had a, a, a series of it. You're right. A series of injuries kind of well, going
1: in, on. In our line of work, though, injury, it really is leads to other injury. Once you get one injury, injuries are contagious. It's just how it yep. is. That's, that's the lifestyle. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I saw that.
3: And I was I actually had just gotten out of the army the second time in 06. And uh, I was working on that uh, Darcy contract down in Arkansas. Or, yeah. yeah, it was in Arkansas, right? Yeah. Arkansas.
1: Yeah. Direct Action Response Center. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And I started developing um, this really painful sensation in my feet. And I, I was like, "What's going on?" You know. And I thought, "Oh, you're just, you're outgrew your shoes, or your shoes are worn out. You know, just get some better shoes, and you'll be fine." And I, so I was. And that didn't work. It didn't do anything. I was like, "What the hell?" Um, and then it did, it got progressively worse. And it got to the point where it it, it felt like, uh, and honestly, it felt like somebody had just strapped me to a table and beat the shit out of my, the bottoms of my feet with like a cane. I mean, you know, after like a 20, 30 mile road march, the movement where your feet are just smoked. Yes. And that's the way my feet felt all the time. If I, you know, from the moment I got out of bed to the moment I got back into bed, I was in pain, like not mild discomfort. I mean, it was pain. It was a distraction kind of pain constantly. And they kept telling me, oh, yeah, plantar fasciitis. So Okay, you know, go through the process of trying to fix plantar fasciitis. Well, you know, so they would build me the custom orthotics, which are made out of the really hard, yeah. rigid <clears throat> plastic, and have the arch in them and all that kind of stuff.
2: And I've used those before. They're kind, it's kind of weird, right, having this like hard thing in your shoe. It is, and they say, oh, you have to slowly get used to it.
3: Wear it for an hour one day, two hours the next day. So I'm going through the whole process, and I'm like, this is agonizing. I mean, it, you know. Um, and you know looking back on it now of course it was agonizing i'm standing on an extremely hard piece of plastic i even had some that were made out of, i think kevlar or something so i mean extremely hard uh surface to stand on and you have nerve damage in your feet so it's making it worse but you know being the good soldier that i was is like well these are the instructions do what you're told and it'll get better and it didn't so um and then I started going, um, you know, overseas. And when you're gone for three and a half months at a time, the last thing you really want to do when you come home is have a yeah. serious doctor's appointments and things like that. And so
2: you kind of just, expect- and, and I'm sorry, just, I'm just jumping in here for the audience. When you say going overseas as a contractor, right? Not a Correct. My-
3: Correct. Yeah. No, no. My, my time overseas, um, was as a contractor, you know, and when I say contractor, um, I, I did, uh, Instruction, you know, where I went overseas in Iraq and I was a, an instructor. I taught, well, as much as you can teach the Iraqi army how to do something, um, that was what I on one trip. Uh, I also taught American soldiers that were in Iraq at the same time. And I really enjoyed that side of it. Uh, training the Iraqis, not so much. Um, and then I went back over and I did the high threat protection for the State Department. So yeah, I you know when I talk about my time overseas, I absolutely do not compare what I did to what active duty military national guard guys that were deployed overseas, what they went through. I absolutely do not want to try to say that I went through what they went through. Not the same thing whatsoever. So um, you know, there's a lot of guys that were over there as truck drivers in the contract world and then they come back to the states. And they're like, I was this badass contractor, dude. And you're like, dude, you were a truck driver. Really- <laughs> you know what yeah, I always
2: think of? I remember Jack Murphy saying this, the people who wear the T-shirts that are like, I am the sheepdog." I am the sheep. percent uh, of the time, he's like, they're like mall security guards or something. <laughs> but um, right. anyway, no, back to what you were saying, though, because that's that's when your injuries really started to exacerbate. Right,
1: and, and just to let people know when you're doing it, because that was triple canopy, right? with the yes. DS with the high threat protection State Department. Um and was it late two thousand? help me out six, seven, eight? Was it two thousand seven with MPRI and the yeah.
3: teaching side of it. Teaching I, part. Went, I went back in two thousand nine for the high threat protection. And that sure.
1: to me from from what I understand, because I'd left in two thousand five to go do the from state from high threat to do the other stuff. And but at that time it really was more you guys had to stand posts. I mean, you guys really not standing posted within a, the the consulate, but actually going to the ministries and and having to get out and re- really just stand stand guards and right. stand places. And I I, I and that was for much a lot more. Where I know when I was, there, it was a more moving around. We could do whatever we wanted to do. It wasn't just staying static. And now they were trying to get it more of a secret service type. Granted, they have pipe hitters. Don't get me wrong; the guys could still fight. There's still attacks going on, but they wanted it to be looking more professional and, and that oh, yeah. wasn't conducive to your, to your feet at all. Having to oh, get out and stand in Iraqi hot sun for how many hours, uh, oh, it, watching it, a it door. Was. I mean, as it, painful as walking around was standing still was 10 times worse.
3: Um, you know, in, in, in standing on now, I'm standing on, you know, temperature. Uh, yeah. areas that are 150 <laughs> degrees? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the glue in your shoes melt. Um, your soles separate off of your shoes. It's so hot, but standing on that with the nerve damage in your feet. Yeah. you you stand static for sometimes two hours at a time in the same spot. And it, it did. It, I mean, it, I felt like my feet were honestly going to explode like a, like a hot dog that had been in the uh, microwave for too long that the toes were just going <laughs> to blow out. And, um, and so it was, it was, ag- it was miserable. It was honest to God, miserable, uh, experience in, I dealt with that for like nine years, 10 years before another doctor finally figured out what was wrong with my feet. Um, and so, you know, and while I was doing the, the uh, stuff for triple canopies, when I screwed up my back as well. So now I have this pain in my feet that, you know, is about all I can tolerate. And, you know, in your mind, you think you're taking it pretty good. You know, I'm a tough guy. You know, I can take some things and that, but you're not, you're, you're a prick, And, you know, and I have little kids my kids were four and five years old at the time and they want to go do stuff. And you're like, I don't want to go do anything. I don't want to stand up. I don't want to walk to the bathroom because I'm in so much pain. Um, And then you screw up your back and I, you know, and I I, uh, ruptured or bulged some disc in my thoracic spine. And so then I started having uh, almost like seizures, muscle spasms in my body that, you know, that I couldn't push through. I couldn't take that pain. It would lock me up to where I could not physically move. It it wasn't like, okay, you know, I mean, I've had kidney stones and things like that where you're like, oh my God, this hurts beyond belief. But if I have to walk across the room, I can. But with my back, it was so spasmed or it would create these uh, muscle twitches where you could not move, I couldn't physically make my arm move. It was locked in this position, like I was having a, almost like a seizure. And and again, you're think you're dealing with it. You think you're taking it. You're being the, the the tough guy and you're taking it and living your life. But you're not. You're you're a miserable person to be around. You're actually living a miserable life. And uh, I didn't really realize that until years later when people kind of started saying things like, hey, man, you're you're not right. Something's wrong. And I had a, a, a squad leader from Ranger Battalion that, you know, stayed in Ranger Battalion and, and retired out. And, you know, all the deployments during GWAT and all that kind of stuff. He said something to me one time. He went to that uh, Warrior's Heart program down in San Antonio, and he said, you ought to look into this. And I was like, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with me, you know, because I didn't experience that stereotypical, uh, PTSD experience where I was in the 13 hour firefight and guys were getting killed all around. Well,
1: what, well, you know, what people think what think right. causes causes that, which is really different for everybody.
3: It so, is. And yeah. you know, and in my mind, I didn't experience that. So I had no reason or no right to complain.
1: Well, and at that time in that in fear defense, that was what you're saying. Stereotypical way. It was always pushed that way. It's like if you weren't blown up or you weren't shot at or you didn't see your buddy die next to you, there's no way. You shouldn't have it. You didn't go through it. And, and so, yeah, that you, you didn't know. I mean, that's that's how we all were. It was. Well, yeah, yeah. This, there's things blowing up all around me, but it's, it's not touching me. So obviously I should be fine. But then you have the pain on top of it. It's it's not your brain is trying to rationalize the un. un the unnormal abnormal shit that's going on around you, even though you didn't get hit by shrapnel, that bomb still went off 200 meters from you. Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Now nah, let's keep working. And it really does screw your head up when you come back after years, and years of it.
3: Yeah. And, it, and, it, and I think that like the trauma that I experienced had more to do with the, the long term pain. long-term pain. Yeah. It wasn't really any event that happened to me overseas where it was like, Oh, I have flashbacks or bad dreams about, things that happen. I don't, I really don't. Um, but the pain, you know, living in that pain for almost 10 years, um, you know, it was, it was brutal and, you know, and and starting to read more about how your brain actually works and pain signals in your body and all of these kind of things. And, um, you know, it kind of made me realize, yeah, you're, you're off, dude. You're not you.
2: You're not, who you want to be kind of thing. Well, I, I would asses, I would especially think a guy coming from the Ranger Ranger regiment, which there's so much physicality involved, and that's a huge aspect of you and your personality, and now you can't live up to those standards, which you talk about in Chris's book. That you know, all these times that, that you want to go back overseas, that you want to do something, and then you say to yourself, I gotta be honest with myself, I'm I'm not in the physical shape to do this.
3: Right. And when I when I screwed up my back Chris had been trying to pull me over to the uh, GRS,
2: GRS
1: stuff, GRS,
3: the agency, mm-hmm. kind of to work, and you know, and it, it's a process. It can take years to get yeah. the paperwork right because they'll kick it back and say no. And you're like, well, what's wrong with it? And they won't tell you.
1: This is, they just uh, say, do it again, do it, do it again. Re- rewrite it, send it in. And you're send like in.
3: this SF uh, eighty six or whatever. Yeah, SF eighty
1: six. It's yeah,
3: and, and, it, and it, of course, it's not a digital thing that you can fill out. <laughs> You have to fill it in by hand and then scan it and send it back into them. And I mean, if you screw up a date, it just doesn't sync right. It doesn't like, sync. No. Yeah. You got to go back through it and be like, where did I screw up?
1: Shit. And I remember doing, I still have my old ones, man. That was, that was a pain in the ass. And it was such, it was, it was such a ridiculous thing that you had to do over and over. But you're right. It did, did. Cause I tried for two years. I think it was, was it a year and a half for two years? So like, Hey, did you paperwork in, get your paperwork in. And he's like, I did, I did. I'm waiting. I'm waiting.
3: <laughs> no. yeah, it, it, and that was, that was frustrating because, um, cause I finally got the paperwork right. They finally do all the background checks, the interviews, they're, you know, talking to my neighbors and all yeah. the, you know, they're doing all you know the process to give you the, the TS clearance that you need to do that job. And they, you know, they finally call and say, Hey, we're ready for you to come to vetting, you know, basically to try out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was in this physical situation and I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I could just tough it out and take the pain and get through vetting. But then I looked at it and I was like, well, then you still are screwed up. You know, you could have one of these seizures or one of these spasms while you're doing that job. And in that job, you weren't on necessarily a fifteen man team. I was like, so if I'm out with one other dude, and I have this problem with my back, I'm now a liability. And I didn't. I was like, I wouldn't want a teammate that was physically not up to his job that couldn't exactly. Be. Yeah, so I certainly wouldn't want to go be that teammate to somebody else.
1: And that and that's happened with guys that have too much pride. I've been on a team where a guy shouldn't have, he shouldn't have come back in, whether it was an injury. Or whether it was personal things within his life that came back and bit him in the ass, which he had to go back home for because maybe he was cheating on his wife. It, not saying that happens in the contract world, but it does. Everyone, but that affects a no. team. That affects a <laughs> team when when a teammate is getting a phone call from home and he's saying going and begging to go back home because his wife finally caught him and is going to leave him because now you're shorthanded. Now it, it, I don't think we realize just the intricacies of. Of of an injury or not having your personal life in order, or at least not having some control of it, how that affects the team downrange. And when you're less one guy on those small teams, like you said, that that the chances of survivability have just decreased because you're missing one extra one guy. It's it it it, it can it can be the matter literally of life or death. I know I'm going really off, but it does it really does because.
3: Well, that's the way,
1: way I. Think and I. I mean, as
3: much as I wanted to go back to work and as much as I wanted to do that job, I I just
1: felt it was just irresponsible to, to did, do it. Um, did you have, did you have, and I, we, I, I, we talked about a little bit, but I, I want to make sure I'm right. You had, I, you had some times at night where the demons stuff come that you thought about taking your life. Uh, I, I know we, I, we, we, but I, if you want to talk about it, cool, if not, we get well, it. I
3: don't mind talking about that. And I, and I never got to the point where I was like, you know, got the gun in my hand and was like, "This is it." You know, I, I never, I never got to that point, but you do. You go to some dark places in your mind, and, and a lot of it had to do with um, not necessarily what had happened in the past. Like I, like I said, I didn't really have these demons from a specific events. I just had this pain that I was like, I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. And it's been six, seven, eight years, and it's never gonna go away. And at least that was the the way the doctors kind of viewed it at that point was you'll never, this is never going to change. And I kind of like, you know, reflected on who I was and it was like, do I want to live another 40 years?
1: I know pain this worse. Yeah.
3: And you're thinking, you know, I mean, all I got to do is punch out and it's over, you know, the pain is gone. Um, But then you, you know, but then you you look back and you kind of say, well, in in doing that and making that decision or trying to solve that problem with that. say let's, you know,
1: solution, terrible solution. Yeah,
3: terrible solution. Um, What is that really going to cost me? You know, and what kind of damage is that going to do to my kids and my wife and my family? And, you know, how much pain is that going to cause to them? And you kind of realize that, okay, the pain that I'm in is miserable, but in, in making that bad decision, what kind of, what am I going to leave behind? You know, I'm going to have kids that are going to grow up without their dad and have to know the fact that my dad didn't love me enough to stick around. He chose the easy way out and took his own life. You know, what does that say to my kids or I'm sorry, to my wife? Yeah. Well, so I really you know my wife and my kids are, are, are really probably the, the biggest reason that I'm still here if I had if I didn't have my wife and I didn't have my kids and I had come home and I was in that pain and I was alone I, I probably either would have you know drank myself into a, a, a coma drank myself into driving off the road drunk some somewhere done something stupid got arrested, um, or just said, okay, you know what? I'm done. Uh, cause I would have, you know, gone back onto the alcohol. They were giving me pain meds like they were Skittles, you know, uh, Oh, here you want, you know, a hundred day supply of oxycodone or, uh, Percocet or what do you, what do you want? We'll give it to you. You know, I yeah, I kind of started to get onto, uh, Dilaudid, which is a synthetic morphine. And Hey man, that stuff was great. It, You know, that's the biggest problem with drugs are they work, Um, you know. So I was taking Dilaudid, and I I was like, dude, I feel like kind of Superman again, you know. Um, And then a friend of mine who was a a doctor, he was like, dude, you got to get off of that stuff. That's dangerous. And I kind of – so luckily I got off of it quick enough that it didn't become a problem.
2: You know, how do you how do you even convince yourself to get off of it? Because you know, I, I yeah, get off of this, yeah. I'm back in that same pain. I mean, most people would not be convinced that it, that it's a problem if if the two ends of the spectrum are I'm in so much pain I don't want to be here anymore. To I feel great on this stuff, but it's habit forming. I think a lot of people would say, "Fuck it, I'm going to stay on." Yes, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, uh, the biggest one of the things that my friend said to me was, if you get if you're hooked on Dilaudid and you go and let's say get in a car accident and you're, you know, just on the, on the edge of being alive, like broken ribs, collapsed lung, you know, crushed skull, all of these things. And you need pain meds to deal with that. There's nothing we can give you. That's going to overcome that pain because you become so used to this Dilaudid. Um, and it's such a strong drug mm-hmm that there's nothing we can do. You're just going to have to suffer until you're fixed kind of thing through whatever accident might happen. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm not a doctor by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I mean, I know being addicted to something is not good. no matter what it is to be, you know, um, and luckily I, I kind of had the, uh, the mental strength to tell myself, you have to stop doing this because you're going to, you know, I could see the path coming back. You're going to get hooked on these pain meds. Uh, they're going to take them away from you, whatever the case may be. Be like, okay, you're now a drug addict. Well, what, what takes the place when you can't get the pills? People just start going and getting heroin.
1: Heroin. Yeah. That okay. becomes, it comes uh, uh, control substances. They're right. They're taking. And, now, yeah.
3: and now you're doing heroin. I mean, it was like,
1: but it, but guys do that. They go down that route. They do they do all the time, and then they end up dead or well dead. dead. <laughs> there, there's not another option. You know that that what you're saying is it's kind of like the analogy that we use when we say look in the mirror and ask yourself if this is how you want to live your life. It doesn't have to mean that you have to look at yourself in the mirror. It's hard to do people to try it. It's hard to look yourself in the, in the eye in the mirror. But it, what you did is that what you were. That's exactly what you were doing. You're looking. Down the line, you're looking in that mirror, looking at yourself and watch yourself. Is this how I'm going to be when I'm 40 years from now? Is this what's going to be like? And that's where the mental toughness comes in. So uh, I
3: did. I honestly, you know, I I, I kind of uh, and I don't know where I got this idea. I probably read it in the book or well, my wife is a doctor. Uh, a mental health professional so. which is
1: perfect for you yeah yeah that's why she yeah. loves you i know she's a, she's a sweet she's an angel um putting up with your shit but we'll do that on another podcast we'll get her on definitely
3: yeah. um so again probably again like my, my wife and my kids are probably really the reason that i'm i'm still still here um that i didn't allow myself to go down that road and in kind of what i did was i i basically just made out a list of what kind of person do you want to be? Who do you want other people to see you as? You know, how do you want to see yourself? You know, do you want to be think of yourself as being a good dad, being responsible and providing for your, your children in, in, you know, a safe environment and all those kind of things. Um, and just wanting to be a better person. I kind of realized that I cannot become a better person and continue to live the life the way I'm living. It. I can't do that. And So you just kind of have to make that determination that, you know, I want to be the good dad. I want to be the good husband. I want to be this happy person more than I want to just be pain free in a drug addict. Uh, And uh,
2: Is that one of the things that saves you other than, you know, your family is journaling? I, I know for me, I do need to regularly kind of journal my thoughts, journal different ideas. It's always helped me out. I know in the book. You say that you started getting into things like CBD and acupuncture and massage, just trying anything that would possibly work. Like, What is it for you that worked both physically and mentally to cross that border?
3: You know, what, what really helped me physically was, you know, one of the problems is that when you get hurt in the capacity that I was working in, you get put into this kind of federal disability program and you have to go see, they say, you can go see any doctor you want as long as he's on this list and there's like two doctors on the list. Yeah. yeah. And then when you go see that doctor, he's like, we can do any treatment, experimental treatment you want as long as it's approved on this list,
1: on this list, on this other list. Yeah.
3: Right. And so there's only certain things that you're allowed to do to be considered therapeutic treatment. And you're kind of stuck in that, that loop that they have where it's like pain meds, you know, uh, Uh, shots in your back, the epidurals that they stick into your, your, your back and your spine to try to reduce the inflammation and stuff in there. And then, you know, in some physical therapy, but outside of that, there's like, you can't go and try to figure these things out on your own because then they say, Oh, you're voiding your care and you're being irresponsible. And you're like, well, if the care worked, I don't care. But if the care doesn't work and they say you screwed yourself up by seeking these other solutions, they're going to now say you don't get your disability money. Well, when you can't work, yeah. You need fucking money, right? I mean, it's
1: a catch uh, 22, definitely. Gotta,
3: right. So I I luckily got off of the federal program. They they basically said, "Here's your settlement money. Piss off, go live your life." And so I took the money and one of the things that helped me was I started to do what's called rest float therapy. Yeah. And uh, you know, for people that don't know what that is, they basically stick you in this like big giant egg that's filled with um, maybe two or two feet of extremely
2: dense salt water. And it's up yep. and by, and I'll just throw it out there for people that are just hearing about this for the first time. If you live near probably any major city at all and you Google float tanks, I mean, they're, they're everywhere.
3: Yeah. Yep. And that's what I did. And I, I I went in and I, I started to do this and oddly enough the guy that runs or ran the float place here in Colorado Springs he was a former uh 10th group guy and then he went up to CAG and he had lost his leg and I, I forget if he was shot or it was an explosion but he, he he had an amputation of his uh right leg I think and so I started talking to him and um I went in and I did it and I did it multiple times and you just kind of float, and I can't float any um, in regular waters. The ocean, the, the pool. I've never been able to float just because of the, you know, I don't have any body fat on me. Um, you know, I'm people boo-hoo you, but it, it's true. I can't float. Yeah, so to go in there and to be able to float, and they put you in the zero sensory thing, so it's pitch black. Um, they and they also start to now where they play these sounds that activate certain things in your brain. And it's supposed to be also not just therapy for your body because there's no pressure now on anything. And it allows your body to relax and take that pressure off of things. And it allowed my back to relax enough that it, I wasn't in as much pain. Um, and so that was really one of the biggest things for my back was that rest float therapy. And then I started looking into like the cognitive things that happen with your brain when you're in those tanks and how people use them to learn to speak foreign languages and all these things and to learn new complicated processes. Cause when you go in there and you allow your brain to relax enough, now it's open to, for new information to come in and you can process it better without all the distraction going on. Um, so I started to look into kind of like neuroscience a little bit more what is actually going on inside of your brain and these things. And I started to th- seek out other therapy. Um, there's a thing I, I wrote it down. So I don't screw up to pronounce, how to pronounce it. It's EMDR. And it's called eye movement, desensitate, desensa, ah, desensitization and reprocessing. And essentially what it does is, you have, you know, the, when, you, when you really start to look into how your brain works and the electrical signals and the neurons that fire around in your brain, all of these memories and experiences that you have are essentially like an electrical signal or a chemical signal um, uh, in your brain. And When you, you know, when you recall a memory or something, that's kind of like this electrical signal firing around in your brain. So what they do is they have you talk about these experiences in the memory of these events And then at the same time that you're talking about them in in firing up your brain, they use the eye movement or some other sort of uh, bilateral stimulation to reprocess your brain and to uh, desensitize you a little bit to those memories. So they don't have as kind of traumatic of an effect on your body anymore. And, you know, there's a book, uh, a doctor out there that wrote
2: this book, and it talks about how the body – remembers your brain. Yes. I knew you were going to get into this. I swear. I, okay. Cause this is very, it's a little bit more Eastern medicine than Western medicine in yeah. some ways, but I've, I've heard it said before, and it's definitely true that all these things you go through from childhood for you, you know, growing up the way you did that the body holds on to this tension. It, it needs to be stored somewhere. Right. So, so this regret that you had about, you know, and you talk about in the book, when you went into the Rangers that you didn't get to do exactly what you wanted to do all these things that you did um, growing up that, that you regret, yeah, the body stores that trauma. And I, I, I 100% believe that.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's really amazing stuff. I mean, it really is. And, you know, uh, Chris and I are, are, are friends with Dr. Maurer, who's one of the top neurosurgeons in the world. I mean, I can't even believe that this dude would sit down and have a conversation with me. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's honestly—he's the smartest person I've ever met in my life.
1: I mean, yes, he he's—he's, br- and he's just the nicest, nicest guy, he's and
3: this guy, and
1: yeah, um, nice. just nice guy.
3: Yeah. So I end up at Dr. Maurer's house in Franklin, Tennessee, and it's Dr. Maurer, who's one of the best neurosurgeons in the world. Um, this other gentleman who um, was a nurse anesthetist. And he went to Harvard at like 17 years old and got an economics degree and then decides, oh, I'm going to go off and be the doctor. So another guy that's just absolutely brilliant. And then one of the guys that was on the team that discovered CTE, the brain damage issues with football players and from the, the concussions and things like that. So there's these three guys that are probably three of the smartest dudes in the world that my idiot ass is ever going to be around (laughs) and having these conversations and talking to them about how the brain really works. And as much as we know about how the brain works, we really don't know very much about how the brain works. But um, so I started to read more about this neuroscience stuff and I really got into kind of how, uh, you know, uh, genetics work and your, your genome sequencing and these things that your genetic code drives all these kind of things. And then, There are events that can happen to you that can change your genetic code a little bit in this stuff. And how, I mean, the stuff's fascinating. And I don't pretend to really understand it. I kind of uh, equate it to knowing how to use your cell phone as opposed to knowing how your cell phone works. I don't know how my cell phone works, but I know how to use it. Exactly. I'm trying to learn how to use this information to fix myself.
1: I certainly don't understand how it all works. When you stopped hurting, then, which from what I'm around you a lot, I you I know I remember when you were hurting, and obviously because you would tell me, or you could see how you were handling yourself walking. uh, But I don't see that anymore. So was it the was it the neuro the neurology, the understanding of it, the brain telling you that hey, I'm fine, and all that stress getting off your back that was literally stress (laughs) getting off your back that okayed, or was it a combination of of physical or medicine, medicinal purpose, and then the then the neurological neurological really, therapy that you're
3: doing it was really a combination of everything. I finally found a doctor that can explain to me.
0: My dog's in here.
3: Um, <laughs> nice. Um, that you know that the the pain signals from my, my feet are coming, are traveling up nerves and things like that. And so this doctor was like, "You have nerve damage in your feet." And you can go get a nerve conduction test that says you have nerve damage, but there's also false negatives in nerve conduction tests. And I had false negatives that said you don't have nerve damage. So I'd actually gone through plantar fasciitis fasciitis surgeries and things like that. that didn't do any good. And this guy was like, I'm going to treat you as if you have a positive uh, nerve conduction test. And he put me on these essentially kind of nerve blockers that you know the damage is still there but it doesn't send the signal to my brain anymore so i essentially well just don't feel it which it does cause other issues cuz your nervous system it affects all of your nervous system it affects all those nerves so you can be desensitized to some pain and things like that which you know people think all oh, having a high pain threshold is good it's actually not very good for your body cuz you can fuck yourself up and not really be aware of it Um, so it does cause some physical problems having that nerves basically being desensitized, but I don't feel that pain in my feet anymore. And so that obviously has been a huge change in, you know, how I physically feel, but also having this understanding of how these things work and how your brain works and all this kind of stuff has helped me with the other side of it, the physical side of it. And, um, you know, I have found there's just certain things I can't do. I can't run 15, 20 miles anymore. I can go and run on the treadmill for three or five miles and, and be okay. But if I start getting into it every once in a while, you know, being a stubborn ass that I am, oh, I'm going to try to go out and run 9, 10, 12 miles. And then you're like, oh, my God, I screwed up my back and my feet start to hurt. And I, a couple years ago, I got this bug up my ass that I wanted to go do the Leadville 100 and do that hundred mile race. And so I started to kind of, okay, your feet feel good. Go train for this. And I started running, you know, further and further distances and, you know, was getting up into the, you know, the teens in miles. And then my body was like, you're not, no, you know, yeah, you're on nerve blocker basically from the pain, but you it's not going to allow you to put that kind of stress on your body again. And, you know, I lost about 20 pounds. I used to be about 20 pounds heavier. And The more weight you carry around on your body, it is just
1: more kind of. You're more uh, susceptible to injury if you're physically right. active. We are when we get heavier.
3: It's, yeah. It's just so, uh, and, but I, I wasn't like overweight heavy, but I had just had more weight on my body, you know. And I, I think taking that weight off allowed my back to feel a little bit better and things like that. Uh, you know, Makes sense. A tremendous amount of stretching, massage therapy has really helped. Um, but also with the mental side of these things, uh, the, the, the therapy has also helped. And I think that, you know, is, is one of the biggest things that I think people don't, um, spend enough time on. They go in and maybe they do therapy one time and they're like, well, that didn't work. I don't feel any better. That's not how it works. (laughs) It's taken years and years of, uh, events happening to you to get you to this point mentally, it's going to take time to get you to mentally back to where you want to be. And it takes these reprocessing kind of uh, um, techniques that are out there. Because when people say, "I'll oh, go to counseling, and people are like, oh, I don't want to sit there and talk about my problems. Like, well, then you're never going to solve your problems. You know what I mean? People take counseling and they think of their, their high school counseling. And not that high school counselors aren't good at what they do, but there are counselors that do these things, this EMDR. They do these things that are essentially reprogramming how your brain works and how you reprocess these uh, events in your life that the body is holding on to that are causing all of this anxiety and this stress. And, and, And that anxiety and that stress and that depression can actually make painful, can create pain in your body. And now you have physical pain that is actually being caused by mental stress and mental issues that you're refusing to deal with. And I think, uh, you know, when you, the more I understand about how the brain works, I understand how it can be reprogrammed. Your brain is essentially the greatest computer ever created in the way it sends signals. And you look at how computers send signals and these things. Your brain is just an organic computer, essentially, And you can reprogram your brain. You can fix these things that are causing you all these problems. And it's going to take time. It's going to take a while. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen through one session. But stick with it and you'll see the effects of it. It will change because it's not as unique as we think we are. We're not. You know, the events that happen to us all are unique. But you know, essentially, your genetic sequencing is what has created you, made you who you are. Your the events that happen to you in your life are what kind of cause your brain to work the way it works. It, yeah. Um, but you can reprogram your brain, and they're they're actually learning now. You can re change, you're not reprogram, but you can change your genetic code now with the CRISPR stuff and all. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely insane that. You're like, I mean, I got gray. All gray. <laughs>
1: that's blonde. That's just blonde. It's just <laughs> bleached a little bit. That's all.
3: It's a really light blonde hair, right? Oh. <laughs> why do I started going gray when I was 27 years old? Well, why is that? Well, because that the way my genetic code is written. So, in in you know, in theory, I could go in and change my genetic code and have black hair like Chris.
2: Which they're saying they're going to be able to do in the future. They're going to be able to basically have like a designer baby with like blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, in the future maybe even play basketball like michael jordan or something it's really insane what the future holds and it's interesting because we started the show talking about elon Musk. yeah and like yeah. He's, he's up on all
1: that <laughs> he's probably the one that's going to invent it invent the little green pill or blue pill or red pill whatever you have to take or or the pat yeah. the Elon musk genetic patch and you just like the just like the nicotine patch just slap it right on get to be whatever you want um, yeah you know with all this and I, we're, we've gone over a little bit with you brother but before before we we let you go on this and I know because you're part of we've so much to talk part, about you fire let's say is part of the you know and I, I I'm part of you know I as far as your entrepreneurship I I know what's going on for the most part because I've known you and we've kind of partnered together on a lot of stuff whether it was Battleline or the vodka or Or, you know, now with Mantis and Morgan timing systems, you know, the dry fire systems that that you're going to be, because correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to be doing some contract work for Mantis now, if I'm correct. But not the actual, uh, not the actual items, but the entrepreneurship, what drove you there? with entrepreneurship. And then like I said, with the vodka as well, which I know because I'm part of it. It's got my name on it, but that was your idea. That was your baby. That was I hadn't, I wish I could claim any of that. I can't. And then how well it's doing right now. And was that pulled from you had going through all this shit you've been through you're like, fuck it. I just, I can't stop. I can't quit. It's not going to bring me down. If a door gets closed, I'm still going to try something else on the business of, in the business world. Um well,
3: Yeah. Well, part of it was, um, I was like, dude, no one's going to give you a job. I mean, you're an asshole. <laughs> you know,
0: because yeah, I, uh, I mean,
3: you know, my feet are in all this. I mean, you, I'm going to stand behind the counter at Bass Pro Shop with my feet, you know, wanting to explode and being in constant pain and then being a customer service guy. You're like, Can I? You help me with this.
1: You're much better on the phone. They'd be like, "Yeah, he's much better on the phone. In person, he sucks. He's great on the phone. Great."
3: Right. I was. I was. You know, you look back at what what that kind of skill set you have, and you're like, "Man, there's not a whole lot I can do in the everyday world of you know consumerism or whatever you want to call it, and just go get a job." Well, you have to have a job, you know. uh, The settlement money they gave me wasn't enough to go ride it out for the rest of my life, and so I was kind of like what are you going to do, man? And, uh, I was actually dry firing in my basement years ago and I was going through the motions of doing something. And I was like, I just want to know how long it takes me to do that. And I was looked around. I couldn't find anything that at the time that did that. There wasn't anything that, that did
2: it. And I was like, talk- and, and obviously for the audience, it's pretty hard to hit a stopwatch, high yeah. fire, hit a stopwatch, dry, right. and it's not going to be accurate at all. Right.
3: And I mean, you can set a pro timer to beep and then beep two seconds later, but you know, in the, the world of shooting tenths and two tenths of a second are the difference between life and death. And so, um, some of those, that amount of time is kind of hard to process and recognize in your brain. So I wanted to know exactly how long something was taking me to do so I could look at it and say, okay, I need to get better at this. And if it's taken me two seconds to do this, or two and a half seconds to do that, I want to be able to do it in two seconds. So it's, it's kind of like working out or doing anything. You have to set a standard, and then you have to, you know, see what you can do. How close to that standard am I? But then you have to work at it. You know, you're not going to get stronger by lifting the same weights every day. You have to either do more reps, heavier weight, you know, do them slower. You can't just do the same things over and over and over again and expect to get better at it. So I wanted something that could show me exactly how long this was going to take me to do. So I could look at that information, kind of analyze it, figure out, okay, what part of this process am I doing slowly? Am I really slow to defeat my cover garment? Am I really slow on my presentation? Am I slow to pick up my front sight? Well, where in that process can I get better? Where can I be more efficient? And I had to have something that was going to be able to show me that time. And so I, I, uh, Kind of came up with this idea, found a guy that was smart enough to make it work, um, and made it work. And it does work. And I still, to this day, I still think it's a great idea. Most people don't, or they haven't really, you know, it's not like the business took off and it turned out the way I had envisioned it. It didn't. So what happened? Why didn't it work? You got to come back and you got to think about it and analyze it and all this stuff. And, you know, the Mantis system didn't exist when I came out with this idea. Now, if the Mantis system had existed seven years ago, I never would have done this, right? But I also was like, this fills a void in training for dry firing. And two, it's a job that I could do. I could run this business and and, and do it on my own. So I'm basically giving myself a job to do for the rest of my life because nobody else was going to give me a job. I mean, I tried to go get a job at Bass Pro Shop. They wouldn't even give me a job. I was like, dude. You can't go get a job at Bass Pro Shop making $13 an hour. Um, there's not a lot of prospects out there in the job market for you. You need to go basically create your own job. And so in, in starting that business and inventing that, pro- that product, I was creating my own job for myself. Um, didn't really work out. I got beat. But that's the beauty of capitalism. That's the beauty of competition. Somebody beats you. And, yeah, it sucks when you're the guy that gets beat. But at the same time, they came out with an extremely good device, an extremely good training system. Um, so, you know,
2: it just kind of didn't work. And Can people still buy it at Morgan, morgantiming.com or no? No, they can. No, I, okay. I, still, I still have them
3: for sale, the timing systems for sale online. But one of the things that kind of came out of that was that the timing systems didn't take off the way I wanted them to, but... The, the plastic inert barrels that I put my technology in, um, I thought I had one sitting around here. somewhere. So just the, the plastic barrel shell in itself, um, I've actually started to sell a lot more of these to people that want to put this in their gun when they're dry firing with, say, the Mantis system or police departments have bought a lot of them. Because they're less expensive than a, a blue gun. You know, the the, the inert gun, that the, the blue guns that are out there. And it gives the shooter more time with their actual firearm. It's their frame. It's their grip. It's their sights. It's their trigger. But now there's no barrel in it. So you cannot have an accident kind of thing. Uh, I have a good friend that's an FBI guy. And he's like, you'd be surprised at how many televisions the FBI buys because these guys are dry firing girls are dry firing in their rooms and they shoot holes in their televisions. Yeah. Um, so the plastic inert barrel shell is essentially kind of become more, uh, I sell a lot more of those than I do the timing devices. So, you know, you never know which way some ideas are going to take you and you think you have a really good idea. Now, other people don't see it the way you do, but something else can come out of that idea. And that part of it can be successful. So I've sold a lot more of those plastic barrels um, than timing devices. Um,
1: well, and what what I see with success being here is that, if we would call Mantis a competitor or not, is that they still came to you and ask if you could if you could be their one of their instructors to go to bases and show people how to use the system. I think that's the best compliment in itself, right there. It's like, well, yeah. we we'll compete against these guys, but. They must have something because they came and asked if, if I could if I could be one of their instructors. So I I, well, I, I see it as success that that with what you did. And no, you're an inventor. We should put that on there, dude. You're an inventor. You invented this shit. You you built this in your basement, which right, a- yeah. exists. exist. And
3: and I have a patent on it and all that kind of stuff. And you know you learn a lot. Uh, unfortunately, as an adult, our lessons come at a cost, which is money.
2: Um, always yeah you know that's how
3: you learn and it's painful and it
2: stings but you learn you learn pretty much every entrepreneur in america like their successful business was not the successful business they have now was not the first one they started with never almost all of them have yeah they have one or two sometimes three businesses that failed and each time they learned a valuable lesson that made them the success that they are now Yeah.
3: yeah and so when the vodka thing came along um, you know, I, I was, hey, man, let's look into this. Let's see what the deal is. Let's taste this product and see, you know, what we think of it. And then let's let other people taste it and see what they think of it. And, um, you know, and we really kind of sat down and we realized um, that we really have a, a good product, you know, and, and you learn in the alcohol industry, it's not necessarily the, the taste of the product there's kind of two ways to sell alcoholics by the taste and everybody says their product tastes the best Well, anybody can make that claim. Well, but what's the story behind the product? You know, and I, and I looked at Chris's story as being obviously extremely unique in itself. And we were like, well, how can we take this product, use Chris's story, but also use Chris's story to be a positive
1: thing within kind of our community. Because drinking always when we drank and Ben and tell you this, whenever we would go out to drink, it would be depressing towards the end of the night because we're drinking, remembering the guys that died or remembering the bad times. Like, gosh, we need to change that. We don't want to facilitate that. Both of us have been in our dark places and drinking was part of that dark place. Well, how can we make it where it's not dark anymore? It's a celebra- it, it's, it's celebration or at least something positive about it. And we're having having fun on the veteran side of the house. 'Cause I, I just saw too many, too many times where guys were drinking to forget their problems. And yes yeah.
3: And we wanted ahead. to take kind of the misconceptions about the veteran community yeah. in that you know uh, Raymond Butler, who was the master distiller of of this product, unfortunately he passed away a couple of weeks back. Um, but you know, he was a Vietnam veteran. And my parents were Vietnam veterans, and you know, in the way people outside of the veteran community look at veterans they always look at them and say oh, all these all these guys and all these girls are broken you know they you know they all have the beards and they're covered in tattoos they're angry all the time and they just sit around and drink coffee and you know run on hate and, and you're like oh my you know <laughs> can, really, can we can you, you know the career veteran kind of thing um, we wanted to try to show the veteran community that you can have a bad experience. You can have a bad, a bad day, a bad year, a bad decade. You know what I mean? But you can also overcome that and continue to be successful and productive in your life and in society. And, you know, in the business world, or you can go be a doctor, you can go be a lawyer, you can go be a teacher. There's a million things you can go do and they don't, necessarily revolve around just being a veteran you know you're a doctor who happens to be a veteran as opposed
1: to a veteran who's a doctor and that's why on the back there's a story and of course Ben's is the first story a success story on the bottle of each of them but I I, I loved it too uh, on the packaging that we did is that if you see the packaging the artwork's done by his daughter and that's just to me I was like this is perfect family we believe in family we believe in regiment which of course we got the dui the distinguished unit insignia not dui when you're drinking guys yeah, oh, every it. time but, <laughs> <in a vodka laughs> but bottle. the distinguished unit insignia and then a positive story on the back end it was just like well this is we're this is different if we're going to do it first of all let's not do the brovet bourbon whiskey because it's been done eight million times um let's do something different but then also put the little notches in there of what him and I believe in, which is family, which is with his daughter. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. His daughter's the one that did the packing. She, what was she 12 when she actually did the first one? Oh, when she, she did, it. did the first one. And I still have that bottle, the very first bottle that we, we tried and the stories having a, a veteran run organization, the, uh, the distillery from Ray, a Vietnam veteran who was a moonshiner. So the quality we know is going to be there, but in a nutshell was let's put something, a positive story on this man. And, and, and I think that's why that's that's why when he brought me the idea, I was like, man, that's yeah, fuck it. Let's let's give it a try. I mean, what what's the worst can, that can happen? It doesn't work. So, hey, we gave it a try. Let's let's that's half the experience right there is at least putting your foot in the water and going, all right, let's do it. Let's get all the way in there and see if it works. And so far, two weeks, granted, it's it's harder to get liquor laws and liquor whatever the, the old cronies that are in there it's tough getting in states but the one state that we're in right now which is one we're in colorado how many stores we have now in two weeks 62 48 or 48
3: 40 something so yeah. every week we're adding you know 10 to 15 stores a week um and and yeah that that's what we wanted it to be a positive kind of thing you know um you know and not to get off into the the, the party world that <laughs> <laughs> really? You well, know, when people go out and they go to, they go to, the, and nobody's going out anymore, which really sucks. But, uh, you know, when people want to go out and have fun and, you know, have a few drinks and be with their friends and celebrate and all these kind of things, I that's what we want this product to kind of uh, show. That you can have a bad experience and you can overcome it and still be, have a fun, happy, productive, life and that in every little thing on that bottle um some of it is subtle you know more maybe it has to be explained to somebody like kind of what the jumbo symbol really means to to us you know what it means to chris in that event that night you know that was kind of the symbol that he gave to the guy that he thought man this is it
1: this We're is it talking. yeah nope.
3: they brought too much firepower for us to repel <laughs> you know that it turns into math dude when guys are throwing Seven hundred and fifty
1: grain bullets
3: at you, you know, four or five hundred of them a, a minute, and you're, you sure, sure. you're, you're, you're It's not you're not going to win.
1: But it, uh, it, what actually it made me smile because I remember when I got it back, I I was ecstatic to the point of tears because of the relief. But that's when I see the little Jumbo sign, which Jumbo means nothing but good morning. That's what it means, guys. In Tunisia, this is where it started. It actually means good morning, but they've taken it to the Shaka meaning because this is cool or just say, be cool. But but really what this means to me and why I put it is because when I saw it coming back, I, I was like, holy shit, this might be over. A sense of happiness and relief. And that's why it's important on there, but yeah, the, the backstory on there is, is, is necessary for people to know what that means. The guy, people that don't, man, they're not going to get it. They may not buy it because of that. So what, that's what we wanted on there. That's our choice. And, and it means something to both of us. And, 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 right. and, and it, again, I, I, I just I, go ahead. Go ahead.
3: Well, the, the, that kind of, that you never want to give up. You never want to quit. Yeah. You know, things can obviously be terrible. And, you know, and Chris's experience was a 13 hour firefight that resulted in, in the death of several people. Don't quit. You don't ever give up. And when Chris threw it out there and he got it back, you know, that to me kind of represents that the concept of never quitting on on anything, whether it's your life or uh, a business project or, you know, school or whatever it is that you're doing, you do not give up. And that when you get it back, like Chris said, it brought that much joy to him that it brought him to tears, you know, that, um, you know, I stayed in the fight and we came out the other end and we're alive. You know what I mean? Um, and so when I want veterans or not just veterans, but even, you know, police officers, firefighters, nurses, doctors, these people that go through this tremendous amount of stress in their daily life that not to give up because, you know, in, in the moment you give up, it's over. All it takes maybe is the next five minutes is where you're going to get that back to you. And then you're going to really have that sense of we did it. We made it. We got through this extremely hard thing, whether it's, you know, for uh, doctors and nurses, it's been the last year dealing with this COVID stuff that they're not giving up, they're not quitting. And that eventually we will turn the tide and it will start to tilt in our favor and then when those doctors and nurses look back on the fact that they never quit in the amount of lives they saved and the good that they did, they'll, it'll bring a smile
2: to their face.
1: And they should have a shot of Tantra Vodka. So, I'm sorry, shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug. I,
2: you know, what's the one last thing I have to ask you because I, I know, you know, Chris says to spend some family time and all that. But the, I, I know the audience is going to be curious as well. I mean, there's, there is something interesting about a guy who went from the crazy alcohol stories as a kid to now selling vodka, like what's up with that?
1: It's like a full circle. That's what I said to him. Like, holy shit, isn't this like a full circle? Are you sure we should be doing this? I don't want to be contributing to your delinquency again. So, <laughs> uh,
3: you know, I have, I got, you know, three or four bottles of vodka in my office. I got, you know, the original kind of ones. The original what? Nice. Yep. Um, but I, I look at it as I have control of myself. I don't. Um, I don't let alcohol i don't let drugs i don't let uh negative thoughts i don't let these things
2: control my behavior anymore and that, let, so so for the audience because i'm wondering what, are you an alcoholic do you consider yourself an alcoholic or is that just a stage of your life that you, that is no longer I don't you anymore?
3: consider myself an alcoholic because i can go out and have two or three drinks and not drink for six months
2: you know, and,
3: you know, yeah, no, that sounds and, fine.
1: Yeah, you know, and that's where I, I was worried. I was a little bit because I knew how he was in high school. I knew I knew that how he was at Range Battalion, and and I know when he first brought it to me, I was like, "Are you sure? Can you?" I was like, "Can you? You sure? Can you do this? <laughs> or you will be okay with it?" And and um, but no, that's what Ben Ben controlled himself, and I I don't know if alcoholism. Some people say it's a disease. Some people say no, it's not. Bottom line is that it, it does take the person to control their themselves to be able to, to stop and be like what he does now, where he, he can't even he can go out and have a couple of drinks and then be fine. And then which, yeah. which would, but it is, it is ironic that it's come full circle. I thought the same thing. It's come full circle to, to right. alcohol. In fact, but you, Hey, it's something, you know, dude, that's not a bad thing. It's something, you know? Yeah.
3: And I, and I know, and I can recognize that sensation where it's like, okay, you've had two or three drinks, maybe you're on your fourth drink and you kind of start to feel that inner wild man coming out and you're like, all right, put him aside. Nope. Not going to let it happen. And, um, and again, I look at it is that my desire to, again, be a good dad, be a good husband, be a good person, be a productive member of society. Uh, and maybe it is, I feel like I have to make up for what a shitty person I was earlier that I need to be a better person now but that desire to be a better person to me is stronger than my desire to drink. And that's what stops me from, from drinking in excess Um, is that I don't want to be that person. and I'm not going to let myself become that person. So I have control of that. I understand not everybody has that amount of self-control and discipline and things like that, but I'm not special. I'm not overly unique in any way. And a lot of that comes from maturity A lot of it comes from the experiences that I went through in my life to get to this point. Other people might need help from a professional to help them with that willpower, to help them overcome kind of those demons or whatever it is that they
2: have banging around. And and to be fair, some people probably should just stay away completely. There are those people. of course. Absolutely. Some people don't have that. And again, what is that? That's your genetic
3: code. That's the way your brain is wired. You should not go down that path. And the sooner you can recognize that, the sooner you can maybe get off of that path. Um, you know, and I, like I said, um, you know, it took me a long time to get there on my own. Uh, I probably would have been a lot better for me to, to do it with help. A little bit of, you know what I mean? But um, don't give up on yourself. Don't think that I have this problem. It cannot be fixed. It can. And I, because I went through problems for 10 years and eventually you can fix it. You just never
2: quit on yourself. Just keep keep crawling. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, the the website once again is morgantiming.com. Instagram for the vodka is at RealTanto Vodka. At official Battle Line Tactical, we really didn't even get a chance to get into Battle Line Tactical. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do know that from people who have taken courses with both you guys, I hear in particular, I mean, of course, Benny Glossop too, but I have gotten emails that are like, Ben is the most awesome trainer I've ever worked with, his patience." And I really do get those emails from several people and, and say that, you know, they've been on different courses before, but it's nothing like what you guys do as a team. I don't get those
3: emails. You don't get to
1: see them, dude. I I, got to keep you blind on those things because then you might get full of yourself and think that you're good at something. So you're not going to work as. I'm not bullshitting you though. But Paula
2: Morgan, who happens to have the same last name, she speaks super highly of you. Uh, Go ahead, Benny.
3: I mean, not to get on too
2: too long of a a, a story,
3: but I I kind of had to teach myself how to shoot, and so I, I feel like being patient with myself and learning how to shoot and going through the process of how you really learn and how your brain learns how to do things uh, has, has helped me to be more patient with other people um, because I do understand that it is a process, and it's about the repetitions, and it's about the proper repetitions and building those neuromotor pathways in your brain to send the proper signals to your hands and, and things like that to do a task. Uh, so I, I, I do kind of try to pride myself on being patient with, with, with shooters. Um, cause a lot of people want to do it and pick it up and fire 10 rounds and think, okay, I got it. Never. It, it's just not the way your brain works. It has nothing to do with you being a, a shitty student. Nobody's going to pick it up like that. It just doesn't exist. And so I do try to pride myself on being patient with people and teaching them the process. Yeah. How it
1: works. He is, because I've had to have people where I get frustrated. I don't they don't see it, but I'll walk over to Ben. I said, dude, you, you gotta <laughs> go 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 you gotta. I gotta I gotta got get over here, or I'm about ready to wring somebody's neck. And um uh, <laughs> and but that's that's the beauty of the battle line courses too, is that you get the different because him and I, of course, we're both from Ranger Battalion, but we do have different personalities. We do the Jack Ashery stuff that Rangers do, but there is a different personality. Um, and I think they get both of that when they come to the courses and yeah, and he'll be in Florida, We're getting in that, getting in the sun here in a couple of weeks, teaching down at, teaching down at full spectrum. So if guys want to sign up and come see how he is, yeah, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to see how good an instructor he
2: is. be there guys, yep. uh, stress fire course, two days, full spectrum warrior in Paisley, Florida, February 20th to the 21st, Tonto's gear You can sign up right now under battle line tactical, still spots available. A few. I cut you off though. I don't know if I cut you off. Did I cut you off, Ben? No, that's it. That's all I was saying. Anything else, Ben?
3: No. I. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, can, I. know
2: I can get rambling sometimes. <laughs> no, dude. This was this was fascinating. I gen, genuinely, I could go another hour. When we got into all the like brain neuroplasticity stuff, like reprogramming your brain, I'm fascinated with all that. I it really. Am. It's absolutely you know amazing to me the the, the genome stuff and
3: just the the true nature of how your brain and your body works and the, the, you know I got some pretty out there theories about some stuff um, but it is amazing it is absolutely amazing stuff and how your body really works and um,
1: And when we have the courses I will always recommend hang out with Ben after because this that's where he starts he can go down those rabbit holes If you like those rabbit holes stay there because because that's when I'm like Ben I'm punching out I'm gonna get some food and he'll stay there and shoot and just talk to whoever wants to talk. And you got, it's actually kind of cool.
2: <laughs> I, I also would say Ben inspired me in that um, I haven't done one of those float tanks in like two years. And now I want to like there's a place on Long Island, the float place. I, I might call them. I think I'm going to call them right after this podcast and make an appointment for it because I haven't done it in two years. And it is. It, you know what? I have a lot of things on my mind. It's a good time to like kind of space out. No cell phone, no technology. Um, I don't know if you fall asleep in there. I don't think I've ever fallen asleep. I've, I've been no, on the edge. I
3: fall asleep in there, um, but yeah, when they start to to send that the the sound waves or the there's something they do that stimulates your brain, and you start laying in there and you get so relaxed, you actually kind of start to see colors and <laughs> kind of, kind of hallucinate a little. It's bit.
1: kind of like it's kind of like swamp phase at Ranger School towards the end, huh? Where you just kind of start seeing colors and monkeys in the trees and. And all that other fun shit. I remember seeing monkeys in the trees, flying monkeys in the trees. You just kind of—you're not
2: the only one, man. Because I remember uh, Nick Irving wrote about that in his book. It and
1: Ben same thing. Ben has his Ranger School. We'll get Ben on again because talk about Ranger School battle line training. Uh, and don't sell yourself short. The the incident with Rob Jabber, where Rob was probably hit by the biggest bomb in Baghdad that to this date has ever been. Ben's team responded to that, so he saw the blood in the streets. He, so don't uh, let him sell yourself short on on that, that shit. Uh, your wait your 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 team was your team was getting there to do the QRF. His team was there, and you guys were punching yeah, out. Yeah, I
3: never knew that. I read the book, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, small shit, world, yeah.
1: huh?" <laughs> That's fine. Hey,
3: yeah, very small world, it, it, it is kind of uh, you know uh, the way things come full circle. Sometimes you're like, "That's just insane that that." But yeah, that's the same dude, and um, yeah, that that was a nasty, nasty event that day. It was, uh, I think it was at, the, at least at the time. I think it was the deadliest V bid that had gone off in Baghdad, Baghdad. released in several years. Um, it, it was pretty nasty. Yeah,
2: yeah good I, talking to you guys. Let me kind of ramble on and vent for a little. bit. No, it was great, man. I'm I'm glad we finally did this. Long overdue.
1: Yeah, Ben's a good dude, man, and actually Ben. Ben's very humble uh, in what he's done, and, but the dude's dude's a fighter. He doesn't take shit from anybody. I, there was a story where him and I were at Shot Show in Vegas, and it, it was after the movie came out or a book came out, or maybe it was a couple of years after, and they did this big party for Tonto or whatever that is, at, at, at uh, one of the clubs there. And I left my jacket. It was in a secure like a club that was in a room that only we had. And I was trying to walk back in there. And of course there's, there's women, there's alpha males everywhere. I mean, it's, it's a shot show. I mean, there's just, and, and once you walked out of the room, you couldn't come back in. Um, you weren't allowed to, because we wanted to keep people out that didn't, weren't invited to the party or whatever. And, and I remember I went back to get my coat and this guy, what are you doing? He thought I was going there to pick up on his girlfriend or something. (laughs) And, and I'm like, dude, I'm just going to go get my coat. And it was, you know, the party was Tano's party too. It was my party. It was, it was, yeah. and the guy jumped in my face and it was this group guy, this SF guy uh, that I didn't know who he was until after the fact, which I could have gave shit anyway, but Ben was next to me and I'm the nice guy. I'm playing. Hey, I'm trying to be cool. I like, do. This is just my jacket. I'm going back in to get to, I'm not saying, Hey, do you know who I am? Sort of thing. I'm saying, I got to go get it. <laughs> but Ben, I remember he jumped right in front of me. He goes, what's your, wh- what the fuck is your problem? It's I like, Ben, we don't need to fight, right? Because Ben can <laughs> fucking fight. The dude's a fighter. <laughs> I believe he, it. He, he's a scrapper, and he was ready to throw down with the dude right there. And, and that's when Ben actually said, "Hey, dude, this is Tono. This is his party." He, and the guys, like, oh, I, so I didn't know, and we let him in. But that's what I knew from Ben in high school too. Same sort of guy. Just the guy that he may be the smallest guy in the room, but if you, he, he'll, 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 you're going to know you're in a fight. Whether you win or lose, you're going to know you're in a fight with Ben, and he just. Very spunky, but also he he's very protective of his friends, and he's a great friend. He is the one. He's the guy that told me to unfuck myself when I was all screwed up. He's the one, the actual one friend that I said, dude, I I, I don't know what to do. He goes, you need to
2: unfuck your life, dude. That's what you need to do. So, no, I I, assume by that time, he was his old self.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no. He he's turned really. Um, him and I were a special forces together too. We were both were nineteen special forces group. We weren't long tab guys. Just so you guys out there, USF guys, get all upset. Big deal. But we were both around ODA 9-3, and then we also uh, stood in contact as contractors. Really, after he got his officer's commission is when he grew up. Let's put it that way. I mean, he's still a kid, but even at Ranger Battalion, alcohol is rampant at Ranger Battalion. Not that guys go out of crazy because you can't. You'll get booted out if you become an alcoholic. You just can't do it. But there's alcohol there. Uh, and you can and you're allowed to get crazy that's what's beautiful yeah we, we do it we're supposed to have the adrenaline up to here especially the youngsters so um I know he was an alcoholic there but he also he wasn't a, a saint by any means and I would never say any ranger is a saint when they're at ranger Battalion. It, that's not the giant you're not it's not you're not um but I would say yeah probably when i saw him again when um which was been right around 2003 so you know we're in our upper 30s low low 40s that's when I saw Ben as being an actual, he wasn't the crazy drinking Ben hard, heavy metal guy, hanging out, smoking at the tree, doing pot and all that other shit. Ben, it was Ben. It was just, he was a dude. He was this dude, just a normal guy. And, but he fixed himself. Cause he was, I remember high school. He went to separate high schools. I dated all the girls at his high school though. So I made <laughs> sure that, but he, I, we never hung out cause he was the type of guy that, no, I'm, he did that. That's the dirt bag crowd. You don't hang out with those dirt bags. And, um, no, he did the army fixed him up, but then he fixed himself up going through all the shit that he went through. Um, so, uh, yeah, and yeah, that's why I put him in the book. It, it was also like, Hey guys, you know what? I, I don't want I don't want all these military books to show that you have to go through that military experience to suffer. You don't have to be, have your leg blown off. You don't have to be shot at. You don't have to be left to die on a rooftop for 13 hours. You can just have a normal life and still have problems that you have to overcome or just pain. And that's why I wanted him in the book. It was, yeah, he did. He lived an exciting life. He went to range of time, but his problems stemmed from just what everybody could have. It doesn't have to be bullets and bombs. It was just pain. And he, I know, I know he was going through hell in those 10 years and yeah, he didn't drink a whole bunch, but why didn't he? Cause he was all narcotic up. <laughs> he didn't need to, cause he had all the damn pain pills in the world to take. Yeah. And, he could have went down that road too. So um, yeah, he, he's a, he's a scrapper. Ben is a scrappy motherfucker and he rightfully should be. And he's a great instructor. That's why I love having him at the courses.
2: Awesome, man. Um, Hey, I, before we wrap up here, I know that you said you have a upcoming GTI magazine. Oh yeah. Appearance.
1: Yeah. I, I forgot to mention, yeah, the uh, GTI global, uh, the global training Institute, in South Carolina will be having a course there, a defensive concealed carry course in August, but they have a magazine coming out and they, picked like eight of us, eight different uh, instructors throughout the country to be a part of it. And it's, it's new. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but I know GTI, the Global Training Institute in South Carolina is a huge training facility. Um, and I'm, they do a great job out there. So I'm hoping the magazine has that same success. And, and I thought the article went well, and it's just my, my perspective on what instructors should be, um, my, in my opinion, or how I think we should train people, which is not being instructors. It's being a coach, being a mentor, which again, that's if you hear from Ben having patience. He's a coach. He's not a trainer. He coaches people to be better. He mentors them, and it'll come out hopefully in a couple of weeks. If it does, we'll post it and we'll get it all out there, brother. But thanks for reminding me about.
2: That. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, man. Um, for for those who listen on SoundCloud, um, yeah, you might you might actually not be hearing this show because I don't think we're going to be on SoundCloud anymore. We're moving the whole feed over to SimpleCast, really for marketing purposes from. Uh, our guy Dylan was telling me it's just uh, easier to basically send people over to the primary way people listen which is really Apple Podcasts aka iTunes because we want to chart on there we're, we're always charting in like the top 20 i want to be charting number 1 <laughs> in in our category and and i want to get in the top like 100 top 200 of all podcasts i want people to be scrolling down that feed and seeing you know Dan Bongino, Mark Levin Joel Osteen Oprah and us you know, because that, that really gets us more attention. And it's also you guys spreading the word. So keep yeah. spreading the word of the podcast, leave us reviews on Apple podcasts. It's greatly appreciated. Um, really powerful episode, I think with Ben and uh, next episode is going to be our first one back in studio, or I'll be back in studio in a very long time because um, David Park lives in New York. So I said, let's do it in studio I don't know about you. Dave's the only guy I know who's served in three branches, um, you know, as a Ranger, as a Navy hard hat uh, diver and as a Marine. So he's got quite a cool story, as well as the fact that he is, thank God, back in great condition after that horrible experience of getting violently jumped on the train. And if he didn't fight back, we, we might not be hearing from him.
1: Yeah, isn't that the weirdest thing? Uh, and that's I think it's one of the things that a veteran, if you stay in long enough, um, and you do all that and you see all the wars that it's like, it's like a movie's poetic. Like you go through all that and then you get, you die or you get hit by a car or something. You, something happens when you get home and yeah, I, I yeah, you know, I'm glad he did too. Cause that, I, I'd like to hear about it if he's willing to talk about it, which I hope he will on the show. Yeah,
2: I, I definitely think he will
1: but be. Yeah. Get, getting through that and, and what his perspective on life is after, cause you really, you go through all that hell. You don't die. Nothing happens to you. And then you come back home where you want to feel safe because it's home, it's America, right? It's supposed to be Disneyland here. And something like that happens. If it changes your perspective on, on the country itself or just safety in your own general welfare. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's going to be a good show. I can't wait to hear from
2: him as well. For sure. Um, I guess that's it guys. That's it. That's it from both of us. Um, anything else really? No, it's a great. episode, Ben, I,
1: I love listening to him and and said great friend, but he has so much expertise. I hope people listen to him. And Ian actually got some questions that brought out stuff that I didn't even know about that. And I've known him for years. So, um, no, great episode. And you guys out there, thanks for continuing listening to us. Appreciate it.
0: That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit.